morning. Um, I often forget to do this. Uh, those of you joining us via the live stream, we welcome you too, uh, hoping, hoping that we meet you someday face to face. Those of you who haven't been here yet and those of you who are joining us via live stream uh, just because you're out of town, wonderful. We're glad, we're glad we can still connect in some way. Um, high tech, but we want to be high touch too, not in a weird way. But it's nice to shake someone's hand and see them face to face and eye to eye. So uh, join me in prayer and then I'll give you the intro to the message and we'll go from there. Lord, as usual, I stand before people on your behalf and that's pretty audacious uh, to think that, you know, Lord, it feels different when I stand in front of you on behalf of people, but to stand in front of people on behalf of you is... That's a big mantle. So I need your help. I need you and from the prep work, from the prayer, from, the, from, from even the things that you showed me this morning. I need you to speak to your people. This isn't my message for them. This is your message for us. So Lord, if there's some tweak or change that you want to take place, if there's some thing that you want to say that I haven't thought of, I want, I want to say it to your people. So convict me of it and show me clearly that it's from you and I will speak your word to your people. But Lord, if there's something that I plan to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. So wipe it from my memory, convict me of it later. Lord, be glorified in this. This is my offering to you, but it's also your offering to us. We pray this in Jesus' name through the power of your spirit for the glory of God, our Father, amen. Um, this is one of those messages you know, there's an old saying that, that there's two types of good messages, good sermons. There's wow, and wow. It's, it's a wow sermon either way. If it's any good, it's a wow sermon either way. So today is hopefully, if, if I do my job, wow. And it's kind of like when you go to the doctor. You've heard this illustration before. Kind of like when you go to the doctor and, and they poke at you and they do whatever that is. And that's a, if something hurts... Because they poked at you, it tells you something's wrong. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping you find nothing wrong. I'm hoping that nothing pokes you, but I think it will. This is about God revealing hidden things, and he does. And just so you know a little bit about pastors, um, we know a lot of people's secrets. And we're not allowed to tell anybody. Ever. Now, God says that he takes your sins and he remembers them no more. But I met with a friend this week that I've known since college and I know his secrets and, and they're awful. I can't unknow them. I do a pretty good job most of the time of, of going, okay, I know this about someone and I'm going to treat them like Jesus does and I'm, I'm not going to remember, but some of them are harder than others. And just this morning we found out about just some awful, evil things. So it's funny in a weird and also providential way how this message lines up with my experiences the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to share with you what Romans 2 tells you. And I'm going to make sure that you know that the last verse in this uh, section of scripture, we call it in, in, in academic terms, it's a pericope. Um, I just want you to know that I'm not misusing that last little bit when it says that God will judge your secrets. It's not, that's not an isolated spot. So let me just give you a little 
A few other verses, just so you know that this is thematic in Scripture, not just in Paul and not just in Romans 2. Luke 8, 17 tells us, For nothing is hidden that will, be, that will not become evident, nor any secret that will not be known and come to light. Luke 12, 2 and 3 says, But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. And then even in the Old Testament, Daniel 2.22 says, It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. Put that a different way. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. So we're going to talk about Romans 2 today. And Andrew, you did a masterful job last week of introing Romans, of talking through, I mean, and... Kicking off a sermon series is one thing, but kicking off a sermon series on Romans and, and reading the entire chapter of Romans 1 and that last stuff about God saying to the Gentile people, Ugh! I mean, they're just, there's the ones that are always out there loud, but you know, they're full of envy, murder, strife, dissent, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil and they disobey their parents and they're, they're senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. They have no excuse, those pagans. But you know who he's talking to? He's talking to Christians that don't have a Jewish background. And he's talking about how they used to be and the people they still associate with and those that have rejected the gospel. And then Romans 2, he's talking to Hebrew people, Jewish people, who were faithful followers of Judaism that are now converts to Christ. So some people, and, and, and I get it, I do, because you only want to hear the good news, right? You want to hear the happy, happy, joy, joy. But Paul, some people will say, well, you know, give us some hope in this and, and, and talk about the resurrection, and I will. But Paul is talking to people who are Christians, so he's not talking to people who don't yet know. He's talking to people that are converts to Christianity, both Gentile, Goyim, those that weren't Jewish. So they were pagan or they worshiped many gods. They worshiped all kinds of different gods. Maybe they thought they worshiped no gods at all, but they did because we all have a tendency to give our will, to give our lives, to have our highest affection to something. Sometimes it's self that we give our highest affection to and that we see other people as, as, as people to use to satisfy our, our desires. But that's still a God. We've made a God of ourselves. And you might not think that in our culture or that you would, that anyone would, would make a, a, a carved image and bow down to a fish or a bear. Or, but those are all gods somewhere. But we do bow down to many, many things. But we know we're not supposed to. And then we got the Jewish Christians. And you know what they do? They judge. They judge their Christian brothers who were pagan before. But see, God had given the Jews this, this long, since, the, since the, the, the history of, of humans on the planet, God has revealed himself to this one particular group of people. And he started that whole thing with Abraham, but he, he, he's going to bless all of creation with, with the sons of Abraham. And throughout, and they, and they know the stuff and they learn it and they go through their ritual practices and all that, but they misinterpret it and they, and they get it wrong and they, and they see themselves as the ones God has chosen. We're better than the others and those poor people, they don't really get it. But when they finally do get it and God puts them on equal par, they still think, well, you've got so much to learn. So they put themselves over another 
So one sinner saved by faith, grace, saved by grace through faith, another sinner saved by grace through faith, and one thinks that they're higher up than the other. That's judging. That's claiming to be God over another person. It's saying, I am superior to you when the scriptures, especially the book of Romans, tells us no one is superior to another. Not race, not creed, not anything. No person is capable of impressing God. And if we think we are, then we're making ourselves God. So now that's the intro. Here we go. Romans 2, talking to the Jewish Christians in Rome. Paul has not been there yet. He's probably writing this from Corinth. It's about 57 AD, third missionary journey around the known world. And Paul has just laid into the Gentiles, believers. And now he switches his attention to the Jewish believers, Christians, People that know now all this Messiah we've been waiting for, he is Christ. He is Jesus from Nazareth. He, it's all been revealed. And he says, you therefore, Jewish Christians, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Now, we'll get back to that. That sounds like works-based salvation. It's not. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, and he's talking about glory for God, not personal glory. For those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now I'm going to pause there for a sec, not for a point, but so that you understand that I understand that this next paragraph is really hard to understand and read. In seminary, when you study Greek, you learn very quickly that Paul is a master in literature, but he's prone to run on sentences. Think when, you know, when I get up here and I get really excited and I just, that's Paul right here. He's just going on and on and on and on and on. And I, I just went, there's a parenthetical phrase here that you could divide up in about four sentences. I just want you to know that I know it. I'll do my best to just give you a piece. I'm not going to give it all, but I'll give you a piece of what he means by it after we read it. But it's not right to explain it without reading it. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Here's the parenthetical phrase. Notice that parenthesis, and notice how long it goes. 
Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Parenthesis. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. All right. That last little thing, here's, I know you've heard this. You might have even said it. What about all those people in Africa or Asia that never heard the gospel? Are they all just going to hell? We love that one because it's a real, we think that's, a, that's an indefensible articulation of why the gospel isn't universal, why it isn't for everybody because, and why it probably shouldn't be for me because if God wants to save me because I've heard, what about those who have not heard? And, and, and yeah, so they're all going to hell. And he's saying right here that the Gentiles... They didn't get the law. They don't have a whole history of God's showing them how to behave. But some of them do right anyway. So God will judge on the light that you have, not the light that you don't have. He's not going to, if someone is completely ignorant of his existence, although Romans 1 kind of tells us that no one is completely ignorant of his existence, but what people know, God will judge them accordingly. God is just. It's not just that God is just. God is justice. But it's interesting to me that, that we go, well, what about the people that are in Africa or Asia and if they don't hear, are they all going to hell? And, and we, we say that as an excuse to not do anything, but really it is the one thing that should convict us to go do it, to give hope, to pray, to send, to go, to do what God calls us to do because his desire is that all would know. He does not will that any would perish. So Paul is saying here to the Jewish people who think they've got it, who own salvation, that even those people who, 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 who didn't know, that didn't have the Ten Commandments, that didn't have the Mosaic Law, God's going to judge them the same way he, he judges you. You did have it. And here's the thing about the law, about legalism, about, about, uh, about works-based faith and righteousness. The thing about, I'll take, you, I'll take you to Atlanta, Georgia, between Atlanta, Georgia on I-75 and Cordial, Georgia. If you don't know where Cordial is, if you've ever driven down there, it's the, where that big missile is on the side of the road. That's the exit where we go to the, you don't care. <laughs> but about back when the speed limit was 55 miles an hour, um, it took about 20 hours to get there. It's right at 1,000 miles. And about the time Atlanta, because you think you were in Georgia, man, we're almost there. It's about three and a half more hours. My brother Fred and I sitting in the back of the custom cruiser Oldsmobile station wagon that was kind of a weird orange and that fake paneling on the side. We're, we always got in the back seat about this time and, and uh, Heath would be up front. He was really young. We didn't have car seats back then so it was just through the windshield. Um, and, and Troy, he had a whole different vacation than everybody else because he's in the backwards facing seat. What do these signs say? Um, you've been there if you have a sibling, long trip. You cross the line. Get out of my spot. Mom, he's in my spot. Mommy, my mother, he's in my spot. I'm not in your spot. I'm in the, and, you know, pinch, 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 hit, hit, whatever you can do. Just, you're just on each other's nerves. And mom, she would go, boys, stop. I raised you better than that. You know better than Okay. Now, you would hope that we would settle down and go, you're right. We're better than that. We're just irritated. We've been up. We've been in the car too long. We're sweaty. You know how that goes. Now, my dad, when he was still with my mom and, and we would go down, he would do the, that thing. And then if you cry, he's like, boy, you better stop that crying before I give you something to cry about. But my mom, I mean, and I've told the story before. I'm not going to get into that one. But she pulled over on the side of the road one time and gave us a 
what for. Um, that's the law. If, she, if we shut up, all that changes is behavior. It doesn't change heart. Gospel changes heart. And then behavior flows from there. Paul is saying, you had the rules, and you might have even had the behavior, but you're still broken. Those who didn't have the rules, and they might have had the good behavior, they're even less broken than you who had them. They will be judged based on what they didn't have, and you will be judged based on what you did. And he says that God will judge every person's secrets. Now, before we get to that piece, I'm going to go back to that part that feels like works-based righteousness. God will give to each person according to what he's done. Okay. Now, your salvation is secure. If you, for anyone who is in Christ, there is no condemnation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No, he will never forsake you or leave you, period. But you're still going to face judgment. And your life and your deeds and your words and your thoughts are all going to be made known. How's that going to look? You still get into heaven. There's a country song that I love right now that kind of gives me an excuse not to do anything because he goes, I don't want streets of gold and mansions. I just want to live on the outskirts. Of heaven. I want a squeaky porch swing and grass and a river. Fish are always biting. You know, I don't need, I don't need streets of gold. I'm, but if you think about it, the reward that you get. Store up treasure in heaven, not treasure that will waste away. So what's your crown going to look like when, he, when you're an heir to the throne of Christ and he puts a crown on your head? Is it going to have one jewel in it or is it just going to be a bunch of sticks? Is it going to have two jewels or is it going to have so many jewels in it and so adorned that you have to have two friends walk around to hold it up so it doesn't break your neck? Metaphorically speaking, here's the thing. We get in because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But how we represent the reign of Christ while we're Christians matters more than you think. I think often we're like the Jewish Christians. And we look at those other people that don't look like us or smell like us or act like us or have the same kind of background that we do and we kind of go, who hasn't watched the TV, the news and gone, man, we're all going to hell. Or those people, those people, how can they, how dare them? Shame on them. Or how many of you have not been on Facebook or some kind of social media and someone makes a comment that you abhorrently disagree with and so you do the Christian loving thing and you pray for them? No, you don't. <laughs> Vile and venom and vitriol. We giggle because it's true. All of those things matter. All of them. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads to you toward repentance? Think about this for a minute. God's kindness leads you to repentance. 
Every one of us, and we'll see this in the next chapter, we'll see it again in chapter six, but every one of us deserves, every time we do something wrong, humiliation. We deserve for it to be revealed so that all can see. But it's God's kind. We live in such an age of grace that God does not strike us dead even when we blaspheme. He shows you and I that kind of kindness. You know who else he shows that kind of kindness to? People who have no idea that Jesus loves them. Even to the people that hate you and me because we love Jesus. He loves them. And he's so kind that he will allow them to be as miserable as they choose to be. Sometimes we go, Lord, Jesus, come back now. I get it. But wouldn't it be better when the scripture says that at the name of Jesus, every, every knee will bend, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and God gave him the name that is above every name. Wouldn't it be better if that wasn't when they face judgment and get sent to hell? Wouldn't it be better if they did that now? And that if God's plan is to, is to let things be miserable long enough that some might be saved? but then we judge them. We expect people to behave like they know a God that they don't know. But we don't behave like God would have us behave even though we know him. Why? If you've ever had a parking lot conversation, you've ever trolled someone on the internet, although you wouldn't be the troll, the others are. If you've ever said something, if you've ever shamed someone into anything, you're working on the law, trying to change behavior, not considering that it's only the spirit of the holy God living in someone that changes heart, which changes behavior. It has to start in, not out. If you judge someone else, you don't think you're judging them, but you are. When you think you're one up on someone else, If you judge, you will be judged. And the scripture tells us, Jesus says, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. So it's funny how people don't live up to the expectations I have of them. They don't even know the expectations I have, but when they, met, when they fall short, oh. But here's the thing, I don't live up to the expectations I have of me. And I know what, I, and I don't even live up to the expectations that I have for other people. So I judge them, but I don't expect to be judged. He will judge the things that are secret. So here's the, the other stuff's pokey. This is ah, surgery, hopefully. What is it that you hope that your spouse doesn't know? What is it that you hope that your children never find out? What is it that you hope your parents never find out? Those are secret things. You know that God knows all things? All things. The things that are whispered in dark rooms will be shouted from the mountaintops. When you show up at judgment, all of those things, if they remain hidden now, 
are going to be brought to the surface for all to see. See, we don't want people to see our brokenness, our sin, our depravity, our shame, because we're afraid of being judged. Yet we judge people when their shame and depravity and guilt pops up. But here's the weird thing, that we are more concerned about what other people think of us than we are of a holy God. I don't want the hidden things revealed because of what you might think. But God already knows the hidden things, and I'm less concerned about his knowledge than than I am of yours, so I keep something secret. And you know what, folks? You do it too. And here's the scary thing. If it remains hidden, it will be revealed and it will humiliate you. And trust me, the things that I know are humiliating. God wants something simple. Confess. Repent. Ask forgiveness. Accept forgiveness. And then ask God through the Holy Spirit to take away your desire to continue to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. You know, how many of us don't have that hidden thing that we go to God, Lord, forgive me again. You know, when the Lord hears, forgive me again, you know what he says? What do you mean again? Because he takes your sin and he separates it from you as far as the east is from the west. So every time you sin, you sin again for the first time. You remember but he chooses to remember your sin no more. But it's kind of sad as a Christian that there's something, the spirit of God lives in me, the Holy Spirit, the same, God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. And I can't get past judging my neighbor? That's on me. Because the power of the, 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 the same spirit that spoke creation into existence, that created the universe, lives right here. But I am more afraid of being found out about anything than I am of letting God do the work that he's supposed to do in me. But folks, you're going to meet the Lord. He already knows. And if it's hidden, he will reveal it. But if it's confessed, it's gone. So reveal the hidden things. So that it's not revealed on your behalf. Confess it, repent of it, seek forgiveness, accept forgiveness. And then ask God to give you the courage to break out of the bounds of sin and live a faithful, obedient, joy-filled, and grace-giving life. Because no one faces judgment and says, look what I did. There's only two responses. I don't know how it all works. I haven't been there yet. But really, there's two responses. Humility is either one. You're, when you face judgment, and if Jesus says something like, why should I let you in? You're not going to go, look at what I did. You're gonna, you might say, look, what you, because of what you did for me. But man, if there's those hidden things and they show up, you're going to go like this. Oh, God, look what I did. Look what I said. 
look how I treated one of the people that you love. I knew you loved me, but I forgot you loved them. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, gone. The new, come. But the scripture's full of telling us time and time and time again how we, how we view God and how we view others. How we treat God is how we treat others. What you've done to the least of these, you know that one. The Ten Commandments, love God, rest, love other people. But those are don't do, 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 don't you dare do. That's the law. But the heart of the matter is God wants us to be like him, and he is holy. But as soon as we think we're holier than someone else, we're judging them. It's a conundrum. But it is the human experience. So, here's your choice. Keep things hidden. Try to hope and pray that the scriptures are wrong and that God doesn't know them. And set yourself up for shame, guilt, conviction, and judgment. Or confess your hidden things. Receive what God has given, his cleansing. No condemnation, but a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what the spirit wants to produce in you. So choose this day, shame, guilt, condemnation, forgiveness, redemption, and the fruit that comes from the Spirit. Because all things hidden will be revealed. Let's pray. Lord, on behalf of your people, on behalf of each individual person, and for me, forgive me for hiding things. Forgive me for judging others. Forgive me for not living up to the standards I set for others or myself, and which means I certainly fall short of the standard you've set for me. Lord, give me the courage from this day forward to live a life that shows other people who my God is. Help me not be offended. Help me not judge. And help me love those that you love. And that's all of them. I pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father, Papa. Amen. Okay, last ditch effort. If you're thinking, yeah, I hate it when people judge people because they don't come from the same You're doing it. Okay? You ever in your backyard, or maybe you live on a creek or a river or something like that, or in a lake, and you, 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 you take that big rock and you roll it over, and there's 
those nasty mealy bugs and that kind of stuff in there. Or, or something, if you, down south, when you go and some cardboard was left and things got moist and humid and then you pull the cardboard away, there's cockroaches that run all over the place. That's our hearts. When we have secret things, secret sin feeds itself and it gains power. But if you roll the stone away, clean out the cockroaches, then sometime when someone comes and stumbles over your soul and it flips the rock over, there's nothing there. You're not humiliated. You're humbled. So be the person that rids their soul of secret sin, of secret judgment, of shame and guilt on others. Because shame and guilt on others bring shame and guilt on you. God wants you to be clean. And we'll talk next week about the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's not because you're righteous. It's because he is. And you become righteous by acknowledging that you can't be. And part of that is cleansing your soul of secret sin. Confess it. Repent of it. Seek forgiveness. Accept the forgiveness. And then ask God to give you the courage and the strength of the Holy Spirit to make it so that you can live a life that shows other people that you worship and follow a holy God. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance right. So look on God's face. God is smiling at you and he'll give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.